Welcome back to A View from the Couch. My name is Rich. And I'm Jen. And today we are being kind and rewinding again. We're going to talk about another Spielberg flick. We are. Catch Me If You Can, which is based on an allegedly true story. I'm going to go quote unquote true story. Okay. So, <laughs> based on a quote unquote right, true so, autobiography. <laughs> yeah. So like, is this really based on a true story or is it based on a fictionalized tr- version which is based on a true story so i think this was something we could get into a little bit more detail when we get into the movie itself but right. it seems to me like this frank abagnale jr is definitely a con man but he is also a liar and it seems like he likes to over-exaggerate his conquests and little capers he's been on, I guess. Yeah, so I guess this is where I have a problem in that it feels like this movie was also a con. Yeah. You know, because the book was a con. If he's not telling the truth, if he's just trying to glorify something to make money, that's a con, right? When did the book come out? Looks like it came out in 1980. Okay. So some of the thought process is this was happening and he was telling stories back before Google fact checking can be done, (laughs) you know? And so... A lot of it was just him saying stories, but as time went on and people were actually able to look into things and fact check things, stuff just didn't line up with what he was saying. So I think the the book, whoever wrote the book with him, maybe was just taking him at his word and, you know, because there is parts of it that ring true. But very little of it. <laughs> so I almost think you need to look at this as just a fictional story, not based off a true story or very loosely based off true story. Yeah. And I, I feel like, though, that like a con is someone like a con man is someone who grifts someone for money, right? Like mm-hmm. they tell a good story or they present some present themselves as one thing and to, whatever to make money. That's the concept. That's the idea, right? Mm-hmm. That's what this whole movie is about. And the book not being true and just being made up, at least a chunk of it, sounds like a con, mm-hmm. which makes this movie a bit of a con. Yeah. I can see where you're coming it, from. It, like, <laughs> That's where that's where I kind of that's where I kind of catch up with this movie in my head, or this that that sort of catches up in my head to this movie where I'm I'm thinking it lends like a a a tone or a timbre of falseness to the whole thing, you know. Mm -hmm. Like if they had just presented this as now this isn't Spielberg's fault, but if they had just presented this as you know, a fictional story and didn't say, hey, based on a true story that I get, they were conned, then I feel like this was, this would have been fine, you know? Mm-hmm. So, okay. So had you seen this movie before we sat down to watch this? I have not. It's always been on my radar to watch at some point, but okay. just never, I don't know if it just never piqued me enough where I'm like, I am watching that right now or what the deal was, but. Tom it Hanks just, wasn't enough to get you in the door, huh? And I'm sure t- between Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio, those were the that was the reason why I wanted to watch it. Mm. But I don't know. Watching the trailer for it, I was just never like, "Oh yay, I want to go see this." <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but it was definitely on my radar. So I'm gl- I'm glad we did watch this because now I can finally scratch it off my list that I have seen this now. So well, that's yeah, that's something. And I'm assuming you have watched this. So. Oh yeah, I saw this in theaters. Yeah. I I'll I'll watch just about any Spielberg movie that comes to theaters. I mean, hell, I even watched the Transformers movies, which he didn't produce; he just directed, or he didn't just he didn't direct; he just produced. I should say, <laughs> early mess that up. But yeah, no, I've I've even watched the Transformers movies in the theater. I I'm a Spielberg whore. I am. So, yeah, I definitely saw this in theaters. 
Okay. All right. So why don't you give us the cast and crew, and then we can talk about this movie. All right. So as you mentioned, this was directed by Steven Spielberg. It was written by Jeff Nathanson, based off the book by Frank Abagnale Jr. and Stan Redding. It stars Leonardo... It stars Leonardo DiCaprio as Frank Abagnale Jr., Tom Hanks as Carl Hanratty, Christopher Walken as Frank Abagnale, and Natalie Bay as Paula Abagnale. There's a lot of other people, but those are kind of your four main ones that we kind of follow through this whole storyline. Yeah, I'd like to point out one other piece of the production crew that I think deserves quite a bit of credit here. Oliver Kunzel and Florence Degas, they created the title sequence Oh, yeah, which was movie. pretty cool. The title sequence in this movie was pretty goddamn neat. I, w- what I love about it is it's actually a callback to the 60s and 70s title sequences created by a guy named Saul Bass. Now, Saul Bass is a, he was, was a leviathan in the in the in the industry he created the title credits for like anatomy of a murder and vertigo and psycho and i mean he has been homaged in everything from the simpsons to this movie and he let the dude just made great credit sequences and and i think i think that i think that this is a cool throwback to a period now i mean this movie takes place in the 60s right Mm -hmm. this is a cool throwback to a period when there was a little bit more art to the credits of a movie you know and i loved it i love the credit sequence in this movie whatever else i have to say about this flick the credit sequence at the beginning is just Blow, blew me out of the water sitting in the theater mm-hmm. watching this the first time, and I loved it this time too. Yeah. So, shall we get into the story? Sure. So, as I said, it, it's it takes place in the '60s. It opens in 1969 with FBI agent Carl Hanratty arriving in Marseille, France, to collect prisoner Frank Ab- Abagnale Jr., who has become violently ill due to the prison conditions. Hanratty asks that Frank be moved to the medical wing while he's awaiting transport out of France, and the guards oblige. But Hanratty is momentarily distracted by the guards because the guards are like, "Look, there's not going to be a doctor in here until tomorrow. You can't, you know, you can't take him, and you know, we're not. He's not going to see a doctor." And Hanratty's like, "He's going to die before them." Blah blah blah. Frank takes this opportunity to attempt another escape, which. We don't know is going to be if you're just watching this movie right off the bat, you're not you're not going to know that this is one of many. But this is just another in a long line of escape attempts by Frank Abagnale mm-hmm. Jr. Mm-hmm. But he is quickly tracked down and held at gunpoint. And then the movie jumps back to 1963. We get some some background on Frank. We learn that he lives in New Rochelle, New York, with his parents Frank and Paula the latter of whom is a French national who married Frank Sr. when he liberated her village in World War II. Now, he didn't do it alone. He had other people there, too. Right. Frank is a small business owner, but he is something of a minor con man himself, and Frank Jr. idolizes his dad. But Frank Sr. is also in deep with the IRS, and because of this, the family has to sell their home and move to a small apartment, which is a move that Paula, the mom, doesn't take very well. She ends up starting an affair with Frank's Rotary Club friend, Jack Barnes, and Frank Jr. discovers the deception. And when he does, his mom basically bribes him to keep quiet. And even though he does, it doesn't matter. The mom and dad are filing for divorce, which causes some emotional strain on Frank Jr., and he runs away. So... This would make sense to me why he would run away if he's not emotionally capable of walking through this. I mean, d- divorce is tough, you know. I mean, he's and 16 as, years yeah, old. And as a time. kid, it, it's it's tough. Yeah. Real life, though, apparently his dad was a pretty straight shooter. He oh, really? He was not a con man. <laughs> he also was not an only child. 
What? Frank, Frank was not an only he's child. He's not an only oh child. Oh my god. Are you going to do this the whole podcast? Or are you going to tell me like what really happened? If you want me I to, do. I, I want can. you to. I, yes. I don't. I didn't write them all down because there were so many of them, but I tried to pick up the bigger ones yeah. that I thought really mattered. Give me everything you I can. Because I feel yeah. like this matters. Yeah, it does. This Give really changes his character. Apparently, I, I'm going to say real quick. Abagnale has acknowledged that parts of the book and the movie were exaggerated. He has said this on a website that he has. Mm -hmm. And he says, of course, for the movie, they always change things to make it more dramatic. But even for the book, his editors wanted it to be over-dramatized. So he's blaming the editors? He's blaming the editors. (laughs) But I feel like... Come on, man. I feel like I could see that to a certain point, but not to the extent that it actually goes here so anyways i just want to point out here that i feel like right off the bat here real life we get a huge difference from what happened in the movie yeah that's definitely a a divergence the other thing is too he does run away okay i don't think it's right when the divorce happens i think it's he ends up in a boy's home or something like that. And then he, he runs away after that. But he never sees his father. In real life, again, he never sees his father again. Oh, wow. He's so, with his father most of the time in this movie. At yeah, least so in his, yeah, so he calls him, writes him letters, and he sees him. And they yeah. said for the movie they felt like it would be a more emotional connection, which it is. But in real life, once he ran away, he never saw his dad again. Yeah, and it makes sense because dad taught him everything he knows about cons in this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, so he's it, trying to impress his dad. Right, yeah. right. Hmm. Okay. So after Frank runs away from home, he turns to cons to make money to survive. His scams kind of get bolder and bolder with time, and he ends up impersonating a Pan Am pilot. Now, Pan Am, for the younger generation in the room, was a was an airline back in the 80s and I think maybe the early 90s did that did did do you know when Pan Am went belly up oh I have no idea I remember did they go belly up we went somewhere and I thought I don't think there's a Pan Am anymore is there no there isn't but we were we were at the at the flight museum in in Seattle and they had some Pan Am stuff there yeah but I don't remember when that I thought it said there when things kind of changed for them, but I don't recall that. Hmm. That was a while ago that we went there. Yeah, that was a while ago. Now, Pan Am, okay, so looking it up, it looks like apparently they went bankrupt in 1991 because of the Persian Gulf War. Hmm. Fuel prices had gone up so much that they just couldn't sustain at that point. I guess they were already relatively fragile after having tried to buy out Northwest Airlines. And they ended up filing for bankruptcy, and Delta Airlines remained or purchased any profitable asset from Pan Am. So, if you're flying now on Delta Airlines, you're flying on the remaining skeleton of Pan Am Airlines. But Pan Am was, boy, that was a nice little history lesson there, wasn't it? But Pan Am was a, it was kind of like the airline right like Mm -hmm. isn't that like when you think about like the 60s and 70s pan am was it right they even even had a show about it because like the stewardesses i guess were like a thing and i don't know just kind of odd to like make to like have like well i guess it would be like nowadays like apple you know like apple's the thing you know or microsoft or whatever you know anyway so yeah so pan am so he impersonates a Pan Am pilot. He calls himself Frank Taylor, and he uses his status to deadhead across the country. Now, deadheading is some, it's like a thing that pilots and stewardesses can do. They can hop on a flight that has an empty seat, or if there's a jump seat available, they can ride from wherever to wherever to get to their next like duty station, basically. Mm-hmm. So, but, but Frank uses his status to deadhead, and he goes across the country into Europe and back again teaches himself to forge paychecks from Pan Am because he finds out that he can cash those pretty much anywhere. People would cash a Pan Am check. Yeah. So, of course, here again, we have some dispute as to if this has actually happened or not. Okay. This part is all just Frank talking. Like, there's no proof this stuff happened. There's 
no proof that it didn't happen. Um, what the thought process is, is that he may have posed as a pilot, but not sure if he actually was flying, you know, doing the whole flying across the country thing. Okay. Um, the other thing is the amount of money that he actually cashed from these payroll checks he's saying was in the millions or something like that. Right. Um, and like the it's much less than that like nowhere near that amount of money so you're saying a con man wants you to believe that he's more wealthy than he actually is <laughs> right okay just right. making sure you know yeah. I'm, I'm making connections just yeah making connections. so so i don't know how much of the pilot thing is actually true just because it sounds like they can't really disprove it but yet all the proof is just off frank saying that he did this mm. okay Interesting. Yeah. So within the movie, as he makes more and more money off of these scams with the Pan Am checks, he draws the attention of the FBI and Special Agent Carl Hanready, which we met, who we met at the beginning of the movie. Carl tracks Frank to a hotel where Frank impersonates a Secret Service agent calling himself Barry Allen and manages to evade capture yet again. Barry Allen's the Flash, <laughs> which I knew right away. And we find out later in the movie. I, th- I didn't know if they were going to come back to it. Yeah. When I was first watching, I was like, oh, my God, he's pretending to be the Flash. And then he runs. That's pretty funny, right? That's a <laughs> joke. That's a good, that's a cute little joke, right? But the fact that he reads comic books is what leads Carl to believe that he's a kid. And I take great umbrage in that. I am not a kid, and I read comic books. Yeah. I, 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 I think that... But this is back in the 60s, so I don't know if there was a lot of adults reading. There's probably some, but... There was an adult in the coffee shop that points out that Barry Allen's The Flash to Carl Henry. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I just think co- comic books are... I mean, I know comic books have always been popular, but I think that now they're a lot more popular than they used to be, like when they were first coming out and stuff. So, okay. Sure. Yeah. That's not true, but okay. I, w- I was just saying, I think, but <laughs> I, I have no numbers to point to with any of this. Stuff, uh, okay, but. yeah. But no, anyway, I, I I don't really take umbrage because, I mean, that's a that's something that they would make. My bigger connection. thing is the actor. So I love Leonardo DiCaprio. I think he's a great actor. Yeah. I don't know him personally, so if he's a terrible human being, I'm, I'm just, I like his acting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I have to preface that nowadays because we are finding out all the time that these people who are these famous people have done just horrible things. They're horrible people in Some real life. Yeah. And so now I almost feel like you almost have to preface like, I like this person's acting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I like this person, you know. They might be a dick, but they sure can act the pants <laughs> off anybody. Anyways, he is very young face and in the... If we're to believe Frank, he was young, but was able to pose as an older person. People believe that he was an older person. Leonardo DiCaprio has got a baby face here yet. He looks (laughs) young. He looks like a kid. Yeah. You know, and I know that somebody that's maybe talking fancy and stuff is going to maybe make you stop and think a little bit, but he still looks really young. So like when people are like, Oh, I was a doctor and then now I'm a lawyer. It's like, how old are you? How can, how is this possible? You know, I don't know. It, it seems hard to buy that people would really believe that, which it's, is probably why this is not really true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose. It, it's interesting that people will fall for things that they want to fall for, huh? Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. You know, fraudulent elections or. <laughs> An 18-year-old being a, you know, Pan Am pilot or a doctor. I mean, who is this guy, Doogie Howser? But it doesn't matter. He's able to convince people. Yeah. I think that, I think that cons are able to fish out something. There's some weakness. Everybody has a weakness. Everybody has... An in, I'm guessing. And these cons can figure out what it is and use that to manipulate oh, whatever absolutely. it is. Absolutely. You know? They are they they they've got a great like they're very personable, so people are gonna be comfortable with them and they're 
great listeners and can think quick on their feet to, you know, you know, perpetuate their story in the way that they need to. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I feel like they have a lot in common with psychic palm reader type people or like the those guys that'll go out there and like, oh, I'm a medium and I'll I'll choose a random person from the audience and we'll have we're going to find out somebody that wants to talk to this person from the spirit realm. But the truth is, it's just a matter of, of observation and figuring out what it is that that person needs and then giving it to them in some sort of small version. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. What, like when he meets Brenda, she needs confidence and he knows this and he gives her that by saying that the brace, not only does she have a beautiful smile, the braces look good on her, mm-hmm. right? Not that she, like, braces looking good on someone? Yeah. That's an interesting tack, but it's exactly what she needed to hear at the time, right? Yep. Speaking of Brenda, Frank realizes the feds are on to him and they're looking for a pilot. So he starts a new life as Dr. Frank Connors in Louisiana. Or was it Georgia? I can't remember which it is. I think it's Georgia, actually. And it, okay. because because when they go when they go to meet... Her family, mm-hmm. they're in Louisiana, and that's where he passes the Louisiana bar exam. Okay. Yeah. So just real quick, yeah. it appears that this time period that he's supposed to be playing a doctor, he was actually in jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're like you're like the Debbie Downer. <laughs> wah, the- wah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, he was a doctor. (laughs) No, he was in jail. (laughs) (laughs) I can stop if you want me to. No, no, I love it. There's so many things that are just like, not true. (laughs) No, don't change it. Don't change what you're doing. I love what you're doing because it is, it's fucking comedy gold. You know, like, hey, guess what he was next? No, he wasn't. Oh, (laughs) like, yeah, that's good stuff. So he's working at a prestigious hospital in Georgia, and he meets Brenda Strong, the nurse that I was talking about. He quickly falls in love with her, and she takes him to meet her Lutheran family in Louisiana. Now, here's where I'm wondering. I feel like a big chunk of Louisiana is probably Catholic. And I don't know what the percentage of Lutherans are in Louisiana, but I feel like it'd be really small. So the chance of him meeting a girl in Georgia who has a family in Louisiana that's Lutheran seems a little unbelievable. But you said he was in jail. <laughs> well, he was a doctor, yes. Right, so well, you said he was in jail. So. But he, so this Brenda person isn't yeah. a real person. Well, obviously. Yeah. It's loosely based on someone he met, I think, as a flight attendant i think that's what it was saying but the whole meeting the parents thing blah 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 that's yeah that's all that's all for a movie <laughs> okay so i just thought it was funny that it was a lutheran family because they were like like he they get him to say grace mm-hmm. and he tells this story about a mouse that his dad told at a rotary club meeting about two mice in a bowl in a cup of cream and one mouse drowned and the other one like paddled so hard it turned into cream and he just walked out he tells that as a prayer and the mom is like oh that is that is just brilliant that's a great that's great and i'm like what <laughs> why would it made me think of christmas vacation when when with the grace scene telling grace i can't remember what she says though but she doesn't tell it she doesn't like say a prayer she in, in Christmas Vacation, she says mm-hmm. something else. I can't remember what it is. But no, she pledges allegiance. She stands oh, yeah. up and does a pledge of yeah. allegiance. That's and then somebody says play ball or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so, also, real quick, I, yeah. just, I just want to back up real quick on this Brenda thing. So yeah. she's based off of what people think to be a gal named Paula Parks, who is a Delta Airlines flight attendant. But when Paula was interviewed about Frank... It almost sounds like he was more of a stalker to her. Like she couldn't get him to leave her alone. Holy shit, really? Yeah. Yep. Like he would follow her around and stuff and like happen to show up where she was going to be at. And things oh like my that. God. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, Creeper. Yeah. yeah. Jeez. All right. Um, well, in the movie, 
She takes him to meet her Lutheran family. He asks her father for her hand in marriage and also to get help to take the Louisiana State Bar exam. <laughs> because not being a doctor isn't enough. He's got to be a doctor lawyer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he's done being a doctor. He's going to yeah. move to being a lawyer. Yeah. yeah. So Mr. Strong agrees and Frank passes the bar exam and then they, he and Brenda are engaged to be married and at the engagement party, Hanratty shows up. He's managed to track um, Frank to Louisiana where they're having the the party. Mm-hmm. Frank, this forces Frank to admit to Brenda that he isn't a doctor, he's not a lawyer, but he has suitcases full of money. And he begs her to meet him at Miami International Airport two days later and then they're going to fly out. They're going to leave the country. She agrees and he absconds out the bedroom window. Okay, back up real quick about the attorney thing. Yeah. So a journalist by the name of Ira Perry, he's with the Daily Oklahoman. In 1978, quote, he says, the fifth floor of the Louisiana office building where Abagnale says he worked as an assistant state attorney general without a law degree has never housed those types of agencies. (laughs) So again, this is all BS. Oh my God. Okay. Like this dude, I don't know what to try. You can't trust this dude. No. I feel bad for Spielberg because I feel like he got conned. Well, and it's, when did this movie come out? 2002. I feel like at that point you have the ability to do a little bit of research, to do a little looking into this. So writer Spielberg maybe should have done a little legwork. Like these seem like outlandish tales. Is there any truth to it? And then from there, you make your movie like, okay, do I want to make this movie? But then don't put in the front based off a true story. Because I feel right. like, okay, you the, the only thing based off the true story is there was a guy who forged some checks and got arrested for it. And he was brought in by the FBI as a consultant right. to help. That That's true. Okay. But the rest of this stuff is seems wildly false. <laughs> Back to our story. Uh, In (laughs) Miami, Frank pulls up to the airport and he realizes that Brenda has turned on him and she is working with the feds. So he does what any smart guy would do, right? He drives off rather than meeting with her. And then he puts on his pilot uniform and he goes to a local college and he has a recruiting drive for Pan Am stewardesses. Then he hires, in quotes, hires... Eight new stewardesses for Pan Am and then uses them as camouflage to get into Miami International Airport and on a flight to Madrid, Spain. I don't understand Completely why he rational. has to do this. Why don't you just go somewhere else and fly out of someplace else? It's much more dramatic. Ugh, and makes way more <laughs> sense than just going somewhere else. <laughs> sure it does. Absolutely. A year later, Carl has managed to track Frank to Frank's mother's hometown in France, and he tricks Frank into agreeing to be arrested. Frank is taken by the French police, and Hanretti promises to get him extradited. And at this point, we have now caught up to the prologue. So we're in 1969 now, and we see Frank on a flight back to the United States with Carl to stand trial. And just kind of right before the plane starts to land, Carl tells Frank that Frank Sr. has died. And Frank goes to the bathroom to kind of weep. He's grief-stricken. And when the plane lands, or as the plane's landing, it becomes apparent that Frank has managed to get out of the bathroom and into the bottom of the plane and as the plane is once the plane touches down frank crawls down one of the landing gear and jumps off and runs across the tarmac and runs off to his mother's house where he sees that she has now started a new life with jack barnes and he she has a daughter they have a daughter but doesn't she's not really thinking about frank anymore So he is pretty distraught, and he surrenders to Carl and is sentenced to 12 years of maximum security prison in solitary confinement. Mm -hmm. True or not? 
Mm, no. Oh. So the escape from the toilet. Okay, so number one, he was not accompanied by FBI. He was supposed to be remanded to the FBI or into FBI custody at the airport. He did not escape through the toilet, which apparently that is not even possible, according to people who make airplanes. I don't know. It looks like Tom Hanks was getting down in there. Yeah, so you you can't like it doesn't it doesn't connect to the other parts of the plane, but it does sound like he did escape the plane, but he did it through the kitchen galley. That makes sense. That would make perfect the sense. Toilet. Yeah, because they if on a, on an international flight you're looking at like a seven forty seven, right, or something along mm-hmm. those lines. So you'd have to there'd be an elevator that would take you down to like where the food would be stored, and you'd bring that up to the galley to prepare food and stuff. So yeah. I'm guessing there's a way. So out I'm going to say partially true. He partially did escape, true. but not how it's done in the movie. Not through the toilet. Did he get sentenced to 12 years in a maximum security prison in solitary confinement? Or is that BS too? So that's BS too, because oh, cool. he was arrested many times before he was apprehended in France. He had done a significant stint in prison before fleeing to Europe. He was finally arrested in Eureka, California with a stolen car. These arrests resulted in Abagnale being confined to the Great Meadow Correctional Institute starting in July of 1965. He was briefly paroled in 67. Then he was sent back again in 68. Then he was arrested and jailed in Baton Rouge in 69. He was released on parole and then in the same year. And then he went to Europe. Then it was the French authorities that arrested him for theft and swindling in France. So he did spend some time in a French prison. So once he comes back, that part I'm not sure. And I haven't found that part, how much he's actually spent time in before hmm. the agent recommended he come help them. Right. So. Speaking of that, let's get to the last part of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carl visits Frank in the prison. Now, if you're in solitary confinement and you're in a maximum security prison, do you get visitors? Do they have banks of like phones separated by plexiglass? Like the, I don't know. I have no idea. I don't it know. just seems an odd thing to have like these regular, like normal prison visit type things that you get in like the movies. If you're in maximum security, solitary confinement prison. Anyway, Carl shows Frank a check from, I love this term, paper hanger, from a paper hanger case that he's working on. And Frank tells Carl that the bank teller has to be in on it because there's some characteristics on the check that give it away. And this impresses upon Carl the idea that maybe this guy could be of some use. So he he convinces the FBI to spring Frank and let him serve out his sentence in service to the FBI's financial crimes unit. But Frank gets a little bored with the tedium of the office life, which, you know what? Hey, I feel you. I feel you, Frank. We all do. Nobody wants to sit in an office all day, every day. It's boring. It's mind-numbing. But on the weekend, Frank decides he's going to take off. He's going to try and run again. He gets a pilot's uniform gets into the airport, and he gets stopped by Carl. Carl says, hey, I'm going to let you run, but there's nobody chasing you. Mm -hmm. You have a choice. You can either go or you can stay. The following Monday, a seemingly reformed Frank returns to work at the FBI office and gets to work on a fraud case with Carl, who Carl asks him at this point. Now, Carl says, how did you manage to cheat the Louisiana bar exam. This is what's on Carl's mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. Why is Carl thinking about that? Frank tells Carl, hey, I didn't cheat. I studied my ass off and I passed the bar exam. Still conning. <laughs> huh? Still conning. Yeah, still conning. <laughs> and that makes Frank and Carl kind of friends, I guess. We get a postscript that kind of tells us about Frank, which I don't even know is true, but it says he's been living in the Midwestern U.S. for the past 26 years, as of the movie, of course, and with his wife and three sons, and he is one of the world's leading experts in bank fraud and forgery, and he and Carl 
are still friends. Now, Carl doesn't exist, right? There's no Carl. No, Carl is is a ma- a made up character. There was never like one agent that was chasing him like in this movie. It was uh-huh. at different points in time, FBI were looking at him for different things. But the one that this closely resembles is FBI agent Joseph Shea. So Joseph Shea and him did become friends after Abagnale was released from prison. Abagnale did not call anybody at the holidays. He says, why would I do that? I didn't want them to know where I was at. So that's all fabricated for the movie. But yeah, it sounds like he is friends with this Joseph Shea. They were buddies. And I think Joseph Shea is the one that helped. And now I don't know. I couldn't find how much he actually does assist them. Or if it was just like, hey, you want to assist me on this one case? (laughs) Or if it's like a continual (laughs) thing. I don't know on that part. I'm just going to be up front. I don't know. But it does sound like he was the one that did start that whole thing. And they are friends. They changed his name, though, because when he wrote the book, Joseph Shea was still in the FBI. So they didn't want to have his real name out there since he was an active FBI agent at the time. Interesting. Okay. So this whole thing makes me think of James Frey and the book A Million Little Pieces. Do you remember this? Mm-mm. Early 2000s, um, dude publishes a book about his struggles with addiction. And it ends up on the Oprah Winfrey book club. He ends up going on Oprah and talking about the book and his life experience and yada, yada, yada. And... It starts to gain steam and people start looking into it. And this is like 2005, 2006 time frame. Okay. So not too much further past this movie. And it turns out that most of the book is bullshit. So Oprah brought him back on the show to be like, why'd you fuck with me? You know, is this even true? And that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. It's like, I would love. Spielberg to do an interview with Abagnale and be like, why'd you fuck with me? Because I feel like he got conned just like Oprah got conned with this James Frey guy. Yeah. Anyway, it just made me think about that, learning now that this this is mostly bullshit, which I kind of figured that they'd embellish mm-hmm. for the movie, but right. bullshit from the author is different from the filmmakers being like, all right, we're going to, we're going to smudge this a little bit so that it looks cooler you know makes me think of the movie we covered recently tetris yeah that was based off of real life but it was embellished for the movie but they weren't lying necessarily they were just saying like that car chase didn't really happen or you know some there was a couple other things that didn't really happen but it didn't change the core story of how this whole tetris situation played out right I think I think artists taking liberties to create something that's more compelling is different than a person cr- taking liberties to make himself seem bigger than life. I mean, his whole life, his whole life story here is just a flat out lie. Right. Do, I mean, it makes makes me feel bad for his wife and kids. Like, I, do, do I they even know who he really I is? I don't know if you could ever trust someone like that, like if, if meeting him later and, you know, finding out that, you know, there was all this happening and he wrote this book and saying all this happened and it really didn't, I'd be like, how do I know? Are you really going to the grocery yeah, store? Yeah. Are you going, yeah. Are you going to the grocery store? Or where are you going? You going to yeah. get on an airplane? Yeah. Are you going to pretend to get on an airplane and then yeah. tell me about it later? What the fuck is going on? Yeah. You know? I, I, I just don't like, know if you could trust someone right. like that. And I mean, obviously, a long-term relationship like that is you have to have a lot of trust. <laughs> I yeah, mean, that's, that's one true. of the important things that you trust each other, you know? Yeah, that is true. Yeah. I don't know. You Okay. So do you have any notes? Because that's the end of the movie. Do you have any notes or I, any I have a, things that you want to talk about? I have a little about? bit of alternate casting okay, to go let, over, but how about, that's about it. How about before that, I just want to point out that I think it's hysterical that the FBI is so voracious in tracking down bank fraud. Like, they're acting like someone murdered someone, and yeah. it's just money. That's all it is. That's all that, that like... It, 
Yeah, I, I agree. Well, and I mean, apparently it was millions and millions and millions of dollars so in what? this in this movie. But in real life, again, he was never on the FBI right. most wanted list. It, that was right. just never right. a thing because he was just a s- small, petty con man for the most part. I just think that I think that it's interesting that property is ahead of people in that they're directing so much resource to so many resources are, yeah. yeah and i mean i'm sure that this exists in real life there's it a might, there's you know. a financial crimes mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. division of the fbi that like and i'm not someone who's going to go out and steal money that's not who i am but like they are low on my list of people that should be like tracked down you know mass murderers white nationalists seditionists those people should be way up higher than div- than than Sending that much money and that much attention to people that are stealing money from, arguably, probably elites. I wonder if a lot of that division, though, is in with cyber theft now because that's a huge thing. And and that's not just big corporations that are affected. That is everyday citizens like you and me. Okay. That That I can see. That are losing, you know, I mean... We we have heard about people yeah. that have lost their life savings because of scam artists and con men like this. That's true. Okay, and so that's no that's noble so, to me. Yeah. Going after someone that steals money from Pan Am is not yeah. not high on my I, I'm list. I'm guessing it's not just that. I'm guessing it's okay. these other ones too that, you know, and you've got it's all I mean people low, I mean it's people that are doing this Unfortunately, a lot of them are not from this country. They're outside of this country. Right. You do have some in this country, but I, yeah. I can't even imagine the task of trying to do that. So I, I get what you're saying, but I don't think that's probably the only thing they're doing. That's fair. <laughs> so. That's fair. Okay. You know what? I wasn't thinking about that. I'm just thinking it within the confines of, I'm thinking of it within the confines of this movie in that they're showing these FBI agents mm-hmm. going after someone who's basically conning giant corporations, right. which, which hey, I'm fine with. Which I think you have to take a step back and go, this didn't happen. Right. He yeah, wasn't conning them. These FBI people weren't after him. That's true. That's true. You know, he was conning this, you know, smaller people. He's he was conning bouncing. everybody. He's forging checks. That's what he was doing. He and, was a check forger. And then he went on to con other people by publishing a book out of it and getting people to buy it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Did that book end up on like a bestseller list at all? I have no idea. I've never read it. I have no desire to read it. I, I'm going to look I, I while know. you tell me some some casting stuff. Okay. Alternate casting for Frank, we have Johnny Depp. Okay. Sure. For Carl, we have James Gandolfini. James Gandolfini as Carl? Yeah. Hmm. That could be interesting. That could be interesting. I lo- you know what I like is I like a guy playing against type. And Gandolfini, of course, was is like the, I mean, later in life anyway, was the stereotypical like mobster guy, right? Mm-hmm. So playing against type would be really interesting. I think he's I think he's got some good chops. So that could have well, that could have been good. That could have been good. Frank Senior, Ed Harris. Ed Harris says Frank Senior. Sure, that could work. And the role that Amy Adams played, I think it was Brenda, Chloe Savini. Chloe Savigny would have been kind of an it girl at the time, yeah. How old was Amy Adams when this movie came out? She was very she, young. She looked like a baby. <laughs> she did. She did. I was yeah. like, what is he doing? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> That's it's like a child. This... Well, she was supposed to be 16 or 17, so definitely how is not she, appropriate. How is she a nurse in Georgia at 16 She's or 17? She's not. She's a candy striper. How is she a candy striper in Georgia when her parents live in Louisiana at 16 or 17? I don't know. It's all baloney anyways. It's uh, BS. That's it's true. made up. That's true. That's true. That's true. Any other alternate casting? No, that was it. I that. have an alternate director. Oh, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. this was originally supposed to be directed by Gore Verbinski, but he dropped out because Leo Leo had to do Gangs of New York or something he like that. He had to that. do some reshoots. Ah, uh, reshoots for Gangs of New York. Okay. Right. And that's also why we ended up with some of these other, like Ed Harris had to back out for something. Oh. James Gal- Gandolfini also, because it, it once they had to shoot it, push it back. Yeah. Their schedules didn't line up anymore, so they had to bring in. I mean, I'm fine with Tom Hanks. Yeah. I love Tom Hanks. That dude, yeah. I'll watch. I watch anything that Tom Hanks does. He's a great actor, and a lot of fun, and seems like a nice guy. 
Mm-hmm. But all right, anything else? You know what? Tom Hanks is one of those people that if we ever find out he's a jerk, I'd be absolutely devastated yeah. because <laughs> I love him. So he seems yeah. like a nice stand-up dude. So. Yeah, I know, right? Like he just seems like a generally normal person. You know, even yeah. with all the celebrity, he seems like just a normal guy. Yeah, like he had an Instagram thing going for a while where he would find gloves. Like, if he found a glove on the street, he'd take a picture of it, and then he'd put it on Instagram and be like, does this belong to anybody? <laughs> it was the most bizarre and weird yeah. thing. But I followed it because I was like, this is funny. He's just, yeah. like, finding gloves, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. So, okay. So, anything? any other notes that we want to talk about? Anything else that we need to bring up? No, I don't think so. Okay. All right. Let's talk Keep Rent or Erase. Jennifer, tell me why. I don't know. <laughs> The movie itself, the movie itself, if you take out the fact that this is supposed to be based on real life, the movie itself is fine. It's just a little, you know, action comedy type of thing. You've got Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio. It's it's not a bad little movie to watch if you just want something lighthearted to watch, you know? Sure, yeah. That's where I lean towards the rent. Yeah. But what I really despise is the lying that this dude did that this is all based off of. Right. I don't like this. Yeah. I don't like this at all. I yeah. will never watch this movie again. Oh, interesting. Okay. I won't because it's all bullshit. Yeah. And I know a lot of movies are bullshit. It's just made up stuff to tell you a story for entertainment purposes. Right. I get that. Right. But they are trying to tell us that this is based off of something some dude did, and it's not. Well, one person is perpetuating that. Right, but the, but they did that with putting based on true story at the beginning. But at two th- in 2002 or 2001, when they were mm-hmm. making this movie, that's what they believed. That's what they were led to believe. I know, but I just, I don't know. I I have a hard time with this. I'm going to go with, because I think if people can just get past that part, I think they'll enjoy it. So I'm going to go with a low rent. Okay. It's not a terrible movie, so I don't know that it's worth erasing. I I don't really want to ever hear about this guy again because he's just a lying piece of crap, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Anybody that lies like that to try and fool people and make money, untrustworthy Get your act together, dude. Yeah. You know, be yeah. a better person. Don't yeah. be a shit. <laughs> so yeah. I- I'll go with a low rent okay. because I still did enjoy seeing Tom Hanks. I still enjoyed seeing Leo. I liked, you know, it's oh, definitely. Oh, Leo now. Are you guys on a first name basis? We are buds. No, I've oh, never met buds? the guy in the Is thing. he going to be on the couch next week? Or? <laughs> Wouldn't no? that be a treat, right? That would be. Steven Spielberg. You could tell this is a Steven Spielberg movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, it's got his little magic all through here. Mm-hmm. The colors in the movie I thought were cool. I yeah. mean, it felt like a 60s movie to oh, the, it. The, the opening was credits fantastic. was very neat. Yeah. So I, I, I will go with a rent. So okay. how about you? I am in 100% agreement with you on this. It is a low rent for me. This is probably one of my least favorite Spielberg movies. Now, that being said, I still do enjoy this movie. But... And here's where I have a problem with this. Much like you, I do not like people that lie to people on these grand scale to puff themselves up, to make themselves seem like they're more than what they are. Mm -hmm. And especially when they do it for money. Because to me, money is a stupid thing to be that concerned about. You know what I mean? And if you buy this movie, you're contributing to this guy. Yeah. <laughs> you're contributing to the grift. If you buy this book, you're contributing to the grift. So here's what I'll say. This is a rent, and I don't normally say this, but steal this movie. <laughs> <laughs> don't give Frank Abagnale Jr. any more of your money, this guy. But then you're robbing the other people that are putting their hard work and art into this. You know, I have seen some of the residual checks that these people are getting for stuff like this. Now, I'm not talking Spielberg or Hanks or yeah. even DiCaprio. I'm talking about the like people. Yeah. the lesser known actors. And they're in some cases getting pennies. They're going to be okay without the pennies that you're gonna that they would have earned for this if you steal this movie to keep money out of the hands of Frank Abagnale Jr. Because these people need to learn at some point. A View from the Couch does not officially... 
condone <laughs> theft. Theft. <laughs> Warning. Please listen to. <laughs> you, are you doing that for lawyer stuff? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do not sue us. We don't actually tell people to steal There's going to be a run. There's, there's going to be a run on this movie. It's going to get stolen like 12 times. And people are going to be like, oh my God, it's the view from a couch effect. <laughs> Better get the FBI on them. Uh, FBI most wanted. <laughs> Ma'am, can you tell me where your husband is? I think he's in the basement playing PlayStation. Hold on, let me get him. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, that's that then. Where, where, what are we doing next? Where are we going? All right. So next week we're going to tackle what I have a feeling is going to be a tough one, but we are going to watch The Whale. Oh, I thought you were going to make me watch one of those Star Wars sequels. No, no. Emotionally <laughs> tough. This is oh, gonna, okay. This is going to, yeah. from what I understand, you need a box of tissues when you watch this movie. Yeah. I, you know, as a, as a, as a fat guy, I feel like I'm really afraid of watching this movie because I feel like it's going to be something that I'm going to have to reckon with. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I feel like this one's going to be emotionally difficult for me, psychologically maybe even a little difficult So for me. we bought this movie a while ago. Yeah. And I haven't watched it yet because I feel like I need to be in the right headspace to yeah. watch this. But now my... I, I don't have any more time to wait. We're going to have to watch Right. This. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to have to clear out some stuff before before we sit down. Uh-huh. Do we know when we're watching it? Do we have the schedule? Don't don't say the specific date, but. Yeah. Yep. We know when we we're watching it. Okay. Yeah. So I've got some time to yeah. prep. I can I can watch a couple of Adam Sandler movies beforehand <laughs> or something. Yeah. yeah okay. Just, uh, just, yeah. Brendan Fraser in his triumphant return to cinemas after the failures of George of the Jungle. <laughs> I don't mean to, I really do not mean to, I'm not trying to put down Brendan Fraser. I understand that that man has gone through a lot. And so that's not what I, that's not my intent. It's just that everybody's like, oh, he's such an amazing actor in George of the Jungle. I. <laughs> we didn't have any other like dramatic movies to really base him on, you know, really base yeah. our, our opinion of his acting yeah. ability on. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Next week, The Whale, right here on the couch. You've been listening to A View from the Couch, a Space Moose Media podcast. You can interact with our hosts on Twitter by going to twitter.com forward slash view underscore couch. You can also email us at aviewfromthecouch at yahoo.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please help us get noticed by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Thanks for listening.